This is Five on Three, center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Well, 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 what a crew we have in the studio today for Five on Three. I'm Jack Warner, joined alongside by Nick Palmer and James Burley, meaning you have one representative from all three tri-state area teams for beat reporters from WFUV. So I think that's a very special thing to have on our cast today, and I think we'll make for great discussion going around the tri-state. But usually I ask you guys how you're doing, um, but I do want to get a lot of stuff in in a short amount of time. And because I'm a host... I'm. I don't really. I'm. I'm gonna start with the Rangers, and you guys can cry about it. Um, so Rangers, sixteen four and one, thirty three points, first in the Metropolitan Division, nine wins in their last twelve games, no consecutive losses this season, an ungodly start for this New York Rangers squad. But I want to start things off on a fiery note because on Wednesday evening, the New York Rangers defeated the Detroit Red Wings in a thriller, three to two little third-period comeback for the Rangers. And the go-ahead goal was scored by none other than Nick Palmer's favorite Rangers player of all... Honestly, favorite hockey player of all time. Whoa. And that is and that is none other than the Bostonian legend, Jimmy Vesey. Now, before this show even started recording, before we were even recording this as we speak, I FaceTimed Lou Orlando... And he is on the phone with me right now, and I actually have him here just so Lou and I, and James too, can enjoy talking about <laughs> slash mocking Nick Palmer for Jimmy Vesey's honestly pretty good start to the year this year and clutch goal against Detroit the other night. So Lou, welcome to the show, man. What's going on? What do you got to say to Mr. Palmer? I mean, yeah, who, who is at all is surprised. I honestly, I wish I was there in person so I could look at Nick Palmer in his cute little fisherman Islanders, Islander Aww. jersey. It's cute. It's great. It's one of the best jerseys ever. I'd like to look him in his <laughs> cute little face and watch him try to explain to me why Jimmy VC isn't just a cute guy. He's great at hockey. Try to tell me that Jimmy VC is not great at hockey. I dare you. You can't. Jimmy VC is just, he's been on an absolute tear. I've had to do over a year of Nick Palmer trying to besmirch him, telling me the extension wasn't one of the best contracts in NHL history. 1.6. I just want to be here and revel in your misery. Oh, is, okay. Can I? Hey, Lou Orlando. Um, I have recently had to come to terms with the fact that Jimmy Vesey is not as bad as I said he was. And He's that, just not bad, period. It takes me, it takes a lot to say that. Can you, can you just appreciate that for what it is he look <laughs> he has somehow and he, he you can agree he went into the season as the 13th forward for the New York Rangers and I, I, and I disagreed with it but I understood it okay he has looked revitalized I mean this guy looks so aggressive towards the puck it looks like it's like all coming out now I don't know Early in the season, I, I want to get your take on this from both of you having watched him in person at MSG. He looked really tense with the puck before. He looked, like, rigid, didn't look flowy. And now Jimmy Vesey is looking flowy. That's the first time I've ever said that about Jimmy Vesey. The dude has flow now, and he looks like he's gelling with this team. Do I think that this is a result 
of the Rangers playing well? Yeah, I do. But credit to where credit's due, he's not dragging down the team anymore. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you're not wrong in the sense, like, I agree. I don't think he got off the best start this season. I'm kind of, I'm trying to pinpoint there. I think it's the Minnesota game. He got his first goal of the season. After that, like that gave him a jump. And ever since then, he's been really noticeable on the ice to the point where like hard to complain about the fourth line, which let let me remind you is Tyler Pitlick, Barkley, Goodrow, and Jimmy VC. So that's not the most star-studded line out there. Oh, really? The fourth line's been good. A lot of that has to do with Jimmy VC, and again, you're still getting jabs in there about like somehow he's playing good. He is just a good hockey player. Yeah, like, shut up, Nick. Listen, he's not he's not Artemi Panarin, but he is he is a valuable above average hockey player that plays exceptional defense, awesome on the penalty kill, and is now producing on offense because he's playing aggressive, kind of similar to Lafreniere, where he's playing more aggressive on the offensive end, and it's just infusing his game. Any last words? I appreciate you calling in to 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 revel in Nick Palmer's uh, inaccuracy. Any last words? Uh, Nick, all love, but you've been wrong on this for a year, and I I couldn't be more happy that you're wrong. Maddie, any thoughts? Hey, Nick, I just think that you might be wrong, and especially after your comments last night to the Carolina Hurricanes, I think we need to reestablish everything, and, and I, I can't support anything you've said so far. How many people do you have on your phone to come after me? I don't know. Episode? That was a surprise guest. That's actually phenomenal. Thank you both for hopping in on today's That's a regular five-on-three. I'm actually an employee. That is actually very much true. Yeah, Bamonte. Kachetkov looked really good in goal for the Carolina Hurricanes last night. Yeah. I'll be sure to tell him that in person. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Love you both. Thanks thank for you very, in, thank you very much for that was a nice surprise. Schooling Nick Palmer. Yeah, that was yeah. That was a nice how did, surprise. How did that feel? In it, I just I just want to tack. That was on. Pre, that was premeditated. I want to tack way. on. It's not just those guys coming after me and Jack Warner. James Burley handed me a full <laughs> game notes of the <laughs> Islanders versus Devils game. That wasn't in meant which to be. the Islanders lost five to four. He just tossed this to me right before the pod said, "Oh, by the way, I have the game notes from the game that you guys I, lost to us." It wasn't supposed to be a dig. That was supposed to be like, "I left this in my bag, and it's it has your team on it." And but, you're just now finding it to remind me that we lost. Well, yeah. I mean, it was a good game. Yeah, not until you. the end. Not until the end. Uh, it, it, it was. It was a good. You know, the Islanders played a good yeah. game until the last. You know, yeah. twenty three seconds. Sure. Uh, that that, that, that whole third period was brutal. Oh, yeah. was brutal. If, if I can get my piece in on Jimmy, though. Yeah, go ahead. Just real quick. I was very much in the camp that it was a good signing for the Rangers even before the extension because I really liked what he did as like a bottom six guy for the Devils in the season prior. Mm-hmm. But to say that there hasn't been that growth, and I, I loved your, your choice of vocabulary, Nick, flowy, and that he's he looking like a dynamic hockey player. Like in his in his rookie era, he was trying to make plays, trying to be a playmaker, and he had to adapt his game to getting more ice time. And he became a grinder and a penalty kill specialist. And he still does that, but he's adapted his game now to find you know the energy that the Rangers have harnessed through their the, the early part of the season. And yes, it's very much getting help from his team being so good around him. But I mean, Jimmy Vc scored a couple goals at the at the Rock earlier this year. And both of those goals were high, 
high scoring percentage chances that you don't necessarily see fourth liners creating. So I, I, I've I've got to say I'm I'm with Lou in that you've been wrong for it, but you're wrong. It's a it's a different look this year than it was before, and it's because of his confidence, the team's confidence, and he's really finding his 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 form in a new role. And I mean, I think the confidence is the thing that stands out to me the most. I think yeah. specifically back to the most two recent goals that Jimmy Vc has scored this season. I saw one of them on TV, obviously, on Wednesday night. And then I saw him score against Boston, you know, covering the Rangers-Bruins game in that huge victory. And I think about both goals that he scored were momentum-changing goals. It was That was really where the Rangers took the game over against the Bruins. He had a beautiful rebound it was a wrist shot from Trocek, gets deflected, quick rebound from v- VC because he's right there camped out in front of the net. He's at the right place to make the plays when they need to be made. Against Detroit, bats it out of the air, o- narrowly misses a high stick. We can debate whether or not they got away with that. Forgot about that. It, yeah. yeah. Um, but he's someone who is playing more confidently, and as a result of that is just getting gritty goals, like goals that are made in high-pressure you know, opportunities – usually in big points of the game and like are not your conventional like oh just had an open look and ripped and you know ripped a rocket of a shot they're these outstanding outstandingly athletic plays that he's making so I think he's playing a lot more confidently and definitely someone who a lot of people are curious to see whether or not his role gets moved a little bit because obviously with depth chart issues kind of being a honestly it's amazing the Rangers are playing as good as they are considering the amount of depth chart sort of adjustments that have had to be made just by the quarter point in the season but now with Capo Caco going down if there were to be any sort of rearrangement in the way the forwards are placed in their lines there have been a lot of people calling for like hey it wouldn't hurt to see what VC would do on line one or hey it wouldn't hurt to see what VC would do on line three like so it's it's I'm really curious to see where the final placement really ends up for him as we look a month and a half, two months into the season. You guys have that luxury, though. You guys are doing so well where you can start to play around with those things. And right. it's not it's not patching up um, where are we faltering. It's, it's what can we do to, you know, create even more chances, which you guys are doing, which I think is, is largely indebted. And, I, I mean, I can't go an episode without mentioning this guy, but you guys got so lucky with Jonathan Quick. Oh, my God. The fact that he has been playing to that level. Because Shesterkin went down, and that would be your guys' one pitfall, where Shesterkin goes down, you guys don't have a good backup goaltender to take over, and you guys are cooked, but what? Right. He's ranked eighth, the eighth goaltender in the NHL this year. I, I have a conspiracy, and it's that the New York Rangers have never had a bad backup goaltender. I don't think they ever have. They Gordy really have. Before that, you had uh, Ranta. Before Ronta. that, That's you had true. Cam Talbot. Before yeah. that, you had Marty Biron. They, the, the New York Rangers, and I hope their fans really internalize this, you have always had good goaltending, yeah. both for yeah. your starter and a reliable backup. That's never been the pitfall of this team. So to have that luxury again and for it to be three-time Stanley Cup champion Jonathan Quick, I think it makes it a little bit more special. Yeah. But – and this year it wasn't even expected that no, he would do that. No, it wasn't. It was, well, that's yeah. the thing. He has an atro- well, he had an atrocious season last year. He, he has an atrocious preseason. So people go in thinking like, okay, yeah, we signed Jonathan Quick, but like, are we getting Jonathan Quick? Yeah. And he's 6-0-1. He's got a 930 save percentage. 
I don't know what more you can ask for. He's on like I'm not joining the idiots on Twitter that are overly critical of Igor Shosturkin. He is right now like just by stats at this point in the season outperforming Igor Shosturkin, yeah. which is mm-hmm. impressive, and that's that's a very good thing to have going for you. And then on top of that, not just the the top two goalies, but then the Rangers have the the absolute misfortune of both of your goalies going down to the IR at the yeah. same time. And Louis Domingue coming up and doing his job. How about him? Now I understand that that was one game, Legend. and he but he played well in that game. He gave up one goal and honestly stood on his head. Kept the Rangers in that game. They ended up winning. But even down at the AHL, he's he's the main. He's I think he's in the, also in the nine thirties or he's in the nine twenties somewhere in save percentage. You just have very very reliable, comfortable goaltending in New York, which I think is. Partially, I mean, I think a big reason why the dents in the depth chart have not made the impact that they could have ended up making. Yeah. But nevertheless, I do want to pass it off to you guys. Let's get around the try stay a little more. But before I do that, let's just check back in with the Rangers, just kind of finish this off. ESPN's latest power rankings come out came out. Rangers are at number one. No way. With a seventy eight point five seven points percentage. They got Boston at two and Vegas at three. Now I find it interesting because that's just one perspective. Power rankings are just perspectives. Yeah. So where realistically, because again, Rangers best record in the Metro in the East, and I think in the league still. I don't know. They did lose. They lost to Buffalo the other day. I didn't see how that impacted Vegas, at the league level. Vegas has the most points, but they've played three more games. Got it. Okay. So overrated. So best in the. It, we'll just say to be safe, top of the Eastern Conference. ESPN has them at number one in the power rankings as of right now. I want to get your guys' opinions. Just seeing the Rangers at the top of the Eastern Conference, how. Where would you be placing them in that regard? It's it's very close, but I I do still have Boston at one, and even with the Rangers, Rangers having the decider, I do. Um, just because the the Rangers just don't have the known consistency that the Bruins have, and it, it feels much easier for the Rangers to go on a slide than the Bruins do. So yeah, I I mean up to this point, yeah, you can make the argument that the Rangers have been better. In fact, I would say. You know, I mean, Artemi Panarin is something crazy, like 31 points or something crazy like that. 31 points, 12 goals, 19 assists. Ridiculous. Um, but I, I just think the Bruins are a more proven, consistent team. So, yes, power rankings this early in the season can be very deceiving. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I don't think you can put one over the other right now. I'm going to take the coward's way out and say that it doesn't matter for the New York Rangers to have to convince themselves that they're the best team in the Eastern Conference right now. And mm. and you know what? I'll even go a step further and say that they are, but it still doesn't matter. Yeah, right. Um, it's too early. You know, you know, t- 21 games ago, before the season started, if you ask New York Rangers fans how they thought about the hiring of, of Peter Laviolette, I would say 70-ish percent of them probably would have said I did. they didn't like the hire. It was lukewarm, for sure. Yeah, it was definitely definitely not a positive reception. They went for an establishment NHL pick, which was what Gerard, uh, excuse me, Gerard Gallant kind of represented. Yeah. But now you look at them, they're playing some of the best hockey, some of the cleanest hockey in the National Hockey League. If you're not, not going to appreciate the fact that they don't lose any games in a row and have won uh, 13 of their last 15 or 13 of their last 16, I think it is, um, you, you kind of have to acknowledge that they're playing consistently uh, uh, every game the same type of way with relatively similar success. So that's coaching. And I think the New York Rangers are in terrific shape. You talk about having a cushion early in the season to go and and, and change things. I don't think they're going to change a single thing about the way that they play because it's been working and Peter Laviolette's kind of a, a stand-up, steady, consistent guy in, in that regard. 
Uh, and specifically, if I can talk about his scheme, it's that one-three-one neutral zone trap that has clogged up areas yeah, and have uh, really mitigated any transition disasters that they had a lot last year. I mean, I think the defense, the defensive play from New York has definitely been, I think, the thing that stands out most, especially when you consider, you know, Artemi Panarin has obviously been the superstar. We just talked about, you know, 31 points. He's fifth in the league. But you also witnessed a couple of pretty slow starts out of other Rangers who tend to be big contributors. Mika Zibanejad, who is a historically slow starter, who tends to be more of a second half of the season kind of guy. Um, but no, I think the other thing that's been really standing out to me is the very, you know, you mentioned the neutral zone trap, which I think is outstanding. Very, very consistent, effective, gritty forecheck as well. Yeah. Winning a lot of first period and second period battles because they're establishing it early and sort of getting it, getting the foot in the door and having a, a good, you know, getting themselves leverage early in the game. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think, you know, with with the defense, which you mentioned, it was odd because I think Rangers fans went into the year expecting a lot of things from Keandre Miller. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't exactly what we've gotten so far in fact I would argue that he's been one of the weaker links on this Rangers defense but I I think they've played very well structurally and letting the offense do its thing is a big part of this Rangers defense the one it's 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 200 foot defense is is what it is it it starts with with an aggressive forecheck and then that peters out into controlling the neutral zone territorially and that's why you don't necessarily see their blue liners having ridiculous seasons, but to their own right, they, you know, they were without him, without Adam Fox for a, a pretty long time there and didn't miss a beat because the systemic foundation of the team is working like a machine at the moment. So they're, they're covering the ice and they're controlling games, playing the way that they want to play. And until other teams can figure that out, they're not going to lose games anytime soon. Physical on the half boards, too. Yeah. Really physical. And that, that, that's a big part of playing that aggressive forecheck, playing aggressively yeah. in the neutral zone, and you know having bodies in the neutral zone. As if you get beat with speed, you have physicality, and the Rangers are one of the more physical teams in the Eastern Conference. Tomorrow afternoon, 4.30, which is an interesting puck drop time. I don't like that. At Nashville. It's a little revenge game because the worst game, probably the single worst game they've played this season was in front of a Madison Square Garden crowd against the Nashville Predators. I had the misfortune of being there. Nevertheless, New York Rangers on fire. Nick, stop talking down on Jimmy VC. I think those are our main takeaways. Uh, Mr. Burley. Yes, sir. I'm going to head to Penn Station, <laughs> hop on the NJ Transit. I'm going to pass it to you. And then you're going to get stuck between Secaucus and Newark for 10 minutes while they figure out the maintenance going on on the train. Yeah. And then you're going to get to the game 20 minutes before puck drop. No, I'm kidding. But That's it's actually, honestly, like, that's kind wildly of Wildly metaphor- specific. That, that's kind- well, no, it's also kind of metaphorical of how the devil season has gone to this point. Like, uh, you're, still, yeah. you're still getting there, but there's mm. some... There's some turbulence in the mm, middle. I like that. Turbulence in the middle is, is, is incredibly fair. And they, they still haven't worked their way out of it, you know? Um... This Devils team, while it's very clear what they want to look like and what they're trying to do, they still haven't fully achieved that yet. And I think this past week has been certainly a step in the right direction. Even some of the games that they lost, I thought that they uh, made progress. But the big question that everyone's asking is that of the goaltending. And unlike the other two teams in the New York area, it is a big, big, big question because neither goaltender has looked like they can carry the load of a starter's job for the full season. Akira Schmidt has started to turn a corner over the last couple of weeks. His last six games, he's got over a 9-2-3 save percentage, and he's, he's saving 
um, unlike his counterpoint in Vitek Vanacek, has a positive goal saved above expected in that stretch. And even last game when he gave up two late goals in the final five minutes through traffic, obviously saves you want to have made when you're nursing a two-goal, then a one-goal lead late on the road against your second biggest rival. Um, he didn't make those saves, but they were difficult saves as reflected by the advanced metrics. He still ended the game with a save with a goal saved above expected. And if you look at Vitek Vanacek's numbers, he has been consistently uh, dropping the ball uh, in games. And, and that's not to say that the Devils' defense has, has been doing him any favors. They certainly have not. And that's expected when you lose key veteran pieces like Damon Severson and Ryan Graves. Yeah. You know, more yeah. stability f- first guys uh, as opposed to bringing in Kevin Ball, who hasn't done the job of, of Ryan Graves, but has been solid. And then Luke Hughes, who has stepped in and been absolute revelation scoring points, I- including the overtime winner last night against the Flyers, but foundationally is not as sound as some of the defensemen they've had before. So it was always going to be a little bit rocky on the blue line. But knowing what Vitek Vanacek did, especially to this point last year, where he was saving the puck 0.937% of the time, which is pretty darn good for a goaltender who had never been trusted with a starting job before, he was arguably the team MVP in November of last year, and he was saving games. During that historic 13-game win streak, he was stealing games for the Devils. And... That was when it was really uncertain whether or not Mackenzie Blackwood still had a future in New Jersey, too. Another name that was still in the mix. So yeah. Vitek, it's not like it was the job was easy for Vitek then. It's been made much harder. He's not having a lot of confidence now. But the stark contrast and what he was able to do a year ago to what they're doing now is, for me, the biggest reason why this team hasn't had the success that they did. But the defense in front of Vitek hasn't been helping him, and that's kind of made things worse. As you know, with goaltenders, if you're not a confident goaltender, it's only going to spiral. So... It hasn't gotten much better for Vitek, but for Akira Schmid, the guy who's known for his mentality, stepped into the garden last year, was unfazed, right. pitched two wins, and then a shutout in games five and seven. So he he is built for moments like this when you know the team is down on and and, the, and you know morale is rather low. He steps in and he's terrific in relief, nine fifty career save percentage just coming off the bench, and now he's turned it around. He's going to get the starters load moving down. But he got the start last night, so it'll be VTech tonight against the Sharks, which is going to be interesting. I want to posit a question to each of you. Do uh, it, yeah. and and you know what? Let let's do like a little like 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 not like a role playing thing, but let's <laughs> let's 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 close our eyes and let let's let's envision something. Okay, so eyes closed. I want you to actually close your eyes. You are Tom Fitzgerald. Okay, you were drafted 17th overall in 1986 by the New York Islanders. That's not relevant, but I just it's, wanted to that's put true, that out yeah. there anyway. Okay, you're bald, and you're Tom Fitzgerald, the GM of the New Jersey Devils. You have a lot of injuries on your hands. You have Hamilton, Holla, Meyer, and Nosek. All of them are out. Your goaltending, as James mentioned, kind of blows, right? Mm -hmm. You are sitting at your big Devils desk in Prudential Center, and there's a button on your desk. And all that it's labeled with is Connor Hellebuck. Your hand is hovering the button. Uh, it's too late now. When do you hit the button? You you would have hit it this summer before he signed that extension in Winnipeg. Yep. But if you remember what I was saying, I was very much in the camp that you don't go and get a goaltender because of what VTech was able to do last year. Uh, I And I was boldly claiming that by the end of this year, he would be a top 10 goaltender league-wide. And boy, do I look foolish 
Colin Lochran, on the other hand, said he would be terrible and looks very smart, as he often does when he makes predictions. He needed he needed a win. He needed a win because Ben Oppenheimer has been slapping him around like a little child. But no, you know, I also don't think like I definitely understand the reasoning and like the prospects of a move like that. But I also just don't think that the position the Devils were in over the summer that seemed. I feel like that's more of a hindsight twenty twenty view, just because you're coming off of. Akira Schmid shocking the hockey world in the in the Rangers series. Now that isn't to say that the, the you know the wheels didn't fall off both Schmid and Vanacek in the Carolina series, mm-hmm. but that was also the team as a whole getting outplayed. Um, but when you go into a summer of uh, uh, Vitek Vanacek having, like you said, a pretty strong year, I don't think anything short of being able to make you confident in having him as your starting goaltender. And then a young Akira Schmidt who comes up in a huge spot in the playoffs against one of your hated rivals mm-hmm. and stands on his head. I can't say that like it's so blasphemous that Hellebuck, pursuing Hellebuck wasn't considered more. Just because I feel no. like that's a situation where like if you didn't get what you got from Schmidt, Maybe you'd be like, oh, wow, Hellebuck and Vanacek together. Like, that'd be nuts. That's that's a cheat code. But I think I, I don't blame the Devils for necessarily embracing the youth and, like, yeah. seeing where can I go with this. Then then how about this? Let, let's take the Hellebuck label off and, and let's call it another goalie. A, if the Predators are bad, you say yeah, Soros so, so, slash yeah. Carter Hart slash, slash John Gibson. Slash John yeah. Gibson slash... And, Peter Mrazek button. And <laughs> well, he can get you can get rid of the last one, but <laughs> I I I like I like that you you taken away the Hellebuck name, and this is a thing that Tom Fitzgerald is currently dealing with. This is known; he's asked around for goaltenders asking prices across the league. Um, it's a it's an issue that they're going to have to uh, rectify. Lindy Ruff is clearly a fan of Vitek Vanacek, and I prefer that you're supposed to trust in your goaltender. Right. And he said like when the numbers aren't where they're at, then you start asking questions, and the numbers haven't uh, been where they want them to be. Um, and you started that, though, with mentioning the, the many injuries the Devils have faced. Yeah. And I think that's fair. But this team has enough talent top to bottom that with the injuries that they face and the players that have now come back, Hughes and Heashier were hurt, but now they're firing. Uh, Hughes is just lights out. He missed 10 ga- uh, 16. How many games did he miss? But he's still top 10 in scoring. Yeah, he's, on, he's only like, played like 14, 16. 15 games. Yeah. yeah, he's only played uh, a, a dozen and change. And, and then... On the back end, Brendan Smith has now turned into a fan favorite, which is shocking. To I me. love it, but I'm very, I'm very happy about it too. Um, Do you think I, they've gotten the blood out of Anders Lee's jersey yet? Oh, dude, that was that was crazy. That but, was, that was before we moved yeah. before we moved too far on from the goalie talk. I do mm-hmm. want to say one more thing. If yes. they're still in like a TBD kind of sitch, mm-hmm. which for your sake, I hope they're not later in the season. I hope for your sake Appreciate that that, that, that that's, nice that's not what happens. I don't. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, it, it pays to it pays well, to be, it, would, it if, pays to be a Bruins fan that that reports the Rangers. I don't really have to like have a hatred of that. You guys. Shouldn't pay anything. That's um, just blasphemy. But uh, how are your football teams doing? Piss off. Oh, um, anyway, what I was gonna say is, if you're looking for a young goalie who you may not have to like break the bank on, and you're 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 still unsatisfied with what you're getting from your current goalie tandem. In 2024, Uko Pekalukinen oh, yeah. from Buffalo, who has impressed the hell out of me, yeah. becomes a free agent. 
who I think is someone that is one incredibly projectable, and two you will have to pay, but I don't think you'll have to break the bank on. And that's the thing about goaltending is, if you want one of these elite goaltenders as a stopgap, let's say John Gibson or uh, Soros, Carter Hart or Soros, yeah, um, you have to pay for them mm-hmm. because they're not free agents, and, and you have to get a, well in most cases, you have to get them young. Not always, right. but in that's that's why for the guys who have already been established, they're they've got high asking prices, they've got high price tags, and for good reason. And that's why, like I was looking back, I'd still be against a Connor Hellebuck move because it's that win now mentality that you know you pay a goaltender who's probably at the end or past his prime. Even a guy like Hellebuck's still very good, um, but that means that you know you've got guys like Meyer and Brat and Hughes and Heischer yeah. locked up for six, seven, eight years, you don't want to have to get a goaltender spend a lot of money to win within the next three when they could still be successful with Akira Schmid in the next three years. And even if Vitek Vanacek can turn it around, I, I, like, I'm not saying that they don't have, that they absolutely shouldn't go and get a goaltender. That would instantly turn the team around if you have an elite goaltender making saves and stealing games. But it doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all. They have to rectify things in the, the way that they play team defense first. Uh, the, to me, that is the biggest... Uh, hindrance to their success and I remember we had a one-on-one episode over the summer where we just did like a kind of a tri-state NHL check and I think it was during there were some I think it was just after the um the Severson trade had happened and all of that sort of you know all mm-hmm. that stuff and we were taught we mentioned do does Jersey go after a goalie and the conversation that me and uh Lou and Nick Guzman were having was that like Hellebuck is definitely a valuable goal. He's incredible. Like, I'm, like there's no denying the prospects of like He's him being good. him being worth paying for. But at the same time, however, you came off a season with a very talented team who kind of fell short. Is young. There were different things happening where they had to offload a few people to extend a few people. There were a bunch of moves happening where you know there was a lot of contract related happenings in the offseason for the devils it was it was not an uneventful offseason by any means and the conclusion that we sort of came to was yes hellebuck was a high asking price and yes he whether or not he's worth that asking price is a conversation for a different time the point was that what you would have had to pay for hellebuck in the position that the devils were in with regards to sort of their contract dealings it almost felt as though you're at the poker table going all right. in. Like you're just pushing all your coins to the middle of the table and going, I hope Connor Hellebuck can save our way to the Stanley Cup. And that's where I think the problem was. I think in other um I think in other years where because he's you know, Burley mentioned it where it's talking about like kind of putting all of your eggs into one basket and you know, having like a win now sort of situation where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, he probably could have applied you know, the help needed to win now. I don't deny the prospects of that at all. But it was also a unique summer. That's why I said it's kind of a hindsight 2020, where it's like it was a unique summer for the Devils with regards to what they had to do handling contracts, bringing people back, and offloading. And just just wrapping up the goaltender conversation, if I, God forbid, was a fan of the New Jersey Devils and I need a goaltender, just I am throw in the God praying forbid. on the downfall of the Nashville Predators. They are 11 and 11 to start the year. If they tank, man, does Soros look juicy? He has what? It's five million per season for two years. That is a very team-friendly contract you would be picking up. Yeah. And 
if and the Predators have been selling off guys all of last year, yeah. if they say, okay, it's actually done for us, which it very well could happen, mm-hmm. the price tag on Soros is so low. That's a contract that I think the Devils would be willing to take on. I think a lot of fans would be excited about. Love That's it. one I would be cool with. Another name that I think is being brought up that hasn't been brought up yet a lot in devil circles is uh, Arizona Coyotes goaltender Carol Vemelka, who has hit a bit of a rough patch, I think, within the next... 10-ish last few games or so, but he started really strong and has been Islanders. and has been consistently uh, reliable enough goaltender. Um, almost so that he reminds me of Vitek Vanacek, but now he's proven that he can take on a starter's load in a way that Vitek never had before last year. Um, and if I can just say one more thing on the Devils before we, we move on, the injury situation has not exactly changed. It looked like Luke Hughes was going to be out for a while after he got rocked by um, Garnet Hathaway oh, on a yeah. late whistle, but he came back the next period and played. Um, it looked He's like he's been getting smoked. Yeah, he it, had the it, Ross Colton hit. He had the that one was this most recent one was definitely a late whistle from the refs and, and Garnet Hathaway. That was kinda, ridiculous. Yeah, it was, it was bad, but he <laughs> was all right. Kid, grab a jacket. Um, and then Dougie Hamilton just went on the IR today, so th- that fantasy team's feeling that's, that one. That's a tough one, and it doesn't. You don't know what IR means. Um, it's very much like the Devils and every team in the National Hockey League to not be very in depth on injuries, but that is concerning, um, and it's going to mean that Brendan Smith now misses more time at the forward position and has to go play more defense. And I really like him on that fourth line, man. Yeah. So that's where I'll leave it. Well, Burley is now getting on the NJ Transit, <laughs> and he's heading back with some delays between Newark and Secaucus. I love this little bit you do. Back to Penn Station, and is then going into, is going to, he tracks he's, he da- 14 he through sees, 26. He sees this cute kid in a uh, fisherman Islander sweater in the middle of uh, in the middle of Penn Station, and he daps him up, and he says, all right, head of the LIR, go to UBS. Nick, that's me. I'm. I'm. That's me. No, the other cute kid in the Islander sweater. What? What do you? Who do you Rats. think? God damn! Thought you'd be talking about Matt Barzell. <laughs> it's Chris Hennessy. That's actually Matt Martin. He is a well. He's not really a kid anymore. No, that's anymore. A, that's a, that's a man. But he's pretty. Oh, he's so pretty. Go dye your hair. <laughs> that was good. That's my favorite video. So, oh, so we're on the LIR. So we're again. on the LIR. I'm actually going to go all the way to the end to Ron Conkum. Yeah, I'm not the train to Ron Conkum. I don't think I'm going to UBS. Actually, I'm just going to. Uh, I'm taking that one to the end. Burley, of the line. Burley, you said Ron Conkum wrong. What I want you to do is really Ron get, get no, 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 no. You got to get deep in your like in your diaphragm. You got to go Ron Conkum. How was like? Do it. Do it. That, wait, that was like no. You nailed it. This is this is the train to Ron Conkum. The next station is Wrong Harlem, 125th Street. Wrong Conkuma. Wrong train, Burley. Wrong train. That's just the one we're all most familiar with. That is true. Anyway. So you get off at Elmont UBS Arena. <laughs> then you got to schlep 15 minutes around the entire racetrack, unless if you take the bus like an idiot. How much is the bus? It's free. And how it's long does it take? The, the bus, two and a half if, like, if they leave immediately, two minutes. Okay. Because I was going to say, is there like a lot of traffic right around there? It's just a going? huge parking lot. It's one big facility with the racetrack, and the and the, the train puts you off closer to the racetrack than the arena. There I, are similar services that Newark Penn Station provides for some of the pro sports teams in Newark, both of which I cover, and they take forever because there's a lot of traffic in those areas. The, the walk to the rock is so easy. The, wa- the walk to the rock is incredible. The walk from Newark Penn Station to, to Red, Red Bull, Bull Arena, Arena is feasible. It's like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the 
there's like a little shuttle that is also 15 20 minutes just because it stop start stop start stop yeah. start so after the train segment <laughs> of five on three um I you like get off we're all engineering students you walk into ubs arena and you see the beautiful train station-esque architecture you see um ubs is pretty it's so pretty. It's just the parking. Especially such, at such holiday time. They're not all lit up. So there gorgeous, right? Sorry, and all the staff is so friendly. Anyway, you have a great time going up up to the Islanders game. Do you have a good time <laughs> watching the Islanders game? That's a different question. Is that question answered? No. You so so watching an Islanders game is it's not fun because you you don't have fun the entire time. You you're not you're not there to have fun. You're there to hope you don't lose. Roll Durs. Rolders, they beat the Carolina Hurricanes in their last game. And that's what I want to talk about because sneakily, very sneakily, the New York Islanders have points in seven of their last eight games. It doesn't really feel like that, especially because they like lost three of them, especially the, the ugly ones like to, to Ottawa. That one was so bad. That was atrocious. That was atrocious. Um, and last night was feeling that way if if you need a refresher on what happened the islanders blew multiple leads last night as they surely must uh the worst one was when they were winning four to three with 2.3 seconds left in the third period mm. ryan Pollock gets caught puck watching and it sneaks through uh semyon varlamov we go to overtime and if you just look at the faces of the islanders players after that goal I it it looks like they already lost. Yeah, it looks the like they already lost. You sent some entertaining texts last night when that happened. It felt like they already lost. Yeah, I, I I texted the hockey group chat right before they go into overtime, and I go, "Well, it's the Islanders playing the Hurricanes in overtime." I wanted to see the <laughs> Vegas odds on that one because it must have been tilted so hard to the Carolina Hurricanes. It is everything, and I don't blame them. No, that's the Hurricanes game. If you face the Carolina Hurricanes three-on-three, three, you are most likely screwed, unless your name is Matt Barzell or Noah Dobson, because that – did you guys catch that uh, game-winning goal? Yes. Man, was that beautiful. Because Dobson, that's a, full, that's a full ice play. He makes the defensive stop in his own zone, carries it some really crisp passing, and Dobson, Horvat, Barzell – that is so that trio, so that, dangerous. That's that's your holy trinity over there, isn't it? Those three guys. It is, yeah. and it's funny that you say that. Barzell four points on the night. Dobson three points. On I was gonna night. say, isn't that two games in a row with at least three points for Matt Barzell? That is. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like, I watch. He's one of the more forgotten about like elite players in this league, if you ask so, me. One hundred percent. And part of that is because you know the islanders haven't exactly moved the needle the way some other teams have and some mm-hmm. other players have you know shined in the playoffs in ways that matt barzell hasn't really had an opportunity to at least not for the past 4 years and the reason being though is purely just based on the team he has played for meanwhile his production this season at least has been consistent and has been in the way that he plays i have never seen Matt Barzell have a player like Bo Horvat to be able to bounce off of though, oh. and even just in that game against the Devils, especially in the second period where they that line especially really took over and they contributed to a couple of goals uh, late in the second there, they were firing cross ice passes. Every movement that the two of them had was in conjunction with one another. And isn't that so great? It, because Matt Barzell yeah. is the least predictable player on the ice. Absolutely, right. and he's also. Mm, 
carries the puck more more than most players do because he's just he's 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 like the general out there. He's like a point guard in the sense that you know he's not spreading it to everybody because it's him and Horvat that's that's the show. But he doesn't he's not doing the Barzell circles as crazily as he was in the past because he has more help with him. But still, they spread the ice in such interesting ways. Like it'll be Barzell behind the net and he'll find. Horvat on the half wall. Yeah. Barzal will uh, Horvat will move towards the net a little bit and then Barzal's open at the point. It, it I I think what they do is so creative. Um and I, I don't think we've seen the best of them yet because it's still so well, early in their time together. Yeah, and that's what I was gonna say is I feel like they're finally clicking, but I don't think that it's overdue necessarily. I don't think that it wasn't timely. And here's why. I feel like some people it's very easy to forget that like you were saying that he James, you were saying that Barzal was one of the most like often like overlooked elite players in the NHL. I feel like a lot of people are forgetting how much time he missed on the back half of the season last so year. Much. Fully was not playing when the Horvat acquisition happened. His first time even getting to share, you know, share the ice with Horvat was in the playoffs with all of the intensity of a playoff series. The fact that it took him down to game 82 to even solidify a playoff spot. And even in the playoffs, they had that huge game five on the road where Barzell scored. They extended the series. Yes, they lose in game six, but that was honestly probably the most memorable win of the series because it was yeah. gritty. It pushed the series further. You have a, cl- a series clinching possibility game on the road. You know, you're trying to not have your season end. And Barzell st- and Horvat stepped up in that game, Brock Nelson as well. My point being is. So when Horvat even enters the scene in New York, there's no Barzell because he's hurt. He makes his return for the Yoffs. It's one series. So this is their first actual like conventional regular season together. Yes. Having the off sharing, season too. Yeah, and Huge. sharing the ice together and having to like – because it's a completely different like – especially considering Horvat joining mid-year. I feel like the strategy and the adjustment and everything is so much different when you're joining mid-year or you're finally getting your first reps together in the playoffs. There's all that playoff adrenaline. There's all, and and mm-hmm. all in all, they didn't win the series. And it, they could have won the series. Seeing how they yeah. you know they were able to pull two gutsy wins out, they could have won the series. You never know. So I, I don't think that necessarily – I'm not saying that it shouldn't have happened quicker or that it couldn't have happened quicker, but I don't think that this is by any means – overdue because I think some people overlook the true like lack of genuine regular season ice time that these guys have had that it literally this season this first quarter of the season excuse me is really the only sample size and I, I remember watching the beginning of the season and looking eerily similar to last year and I go oh no Horvat and Barzell are not meshing they're not scoring this is what we were hanging our hat on no, what it took was Dobson coming into his own because you were talking about all the nifty, you know, cross-ice passes that Horvat and, and Barzell can make to each other behind the net, half boards like you mentioned. But what about the option for Barzell to make drop passes now and having that be a serious threat on a slap shot from Dobson where those are getting tipped in and ending up in the back of the net so, so often. And that's why Dobson's a point-per-game player, because now it's not just Barzell skating circles, like you mentioned, looking for Horvat, look for Horvat on a cross crease. Now it's like, okay, well, I can look for Horvat, or I just do a little drop pass, Dobson takes a 100-mile-an-hour clapper, and there's a shot it goes in. And, and doesn't that sound more like the New York Islanders get shots through traffic, get you know players in front of the net, and have drop passes through creative speed players, like yep. quick players like Barzell? I, I, that, to me, seems more 
aligning with their identity than relying on one or two players to carry the load like that. It seems more like a group effort in which they get to the the gritty areas, so to speak. And I don't want to, you know, hamper on the cliches, get the pucks in the corner, win your corner battles, get the puck deep. But that's kind of the the Islanders' mo. And, and when you have good shots from the point, you get traffic in front of the net. It's pretty good recipe for success when you got a guy like Noah Dobson facilitating that sort of behavior. I do want to ask you guys about. I'd say two really key injuries that kind of happened at the same time. That was Aho and Pelic both going down at the same time. Aho's out for a lot less time. Pelic, we still don't know when he's coming back. He's still on LTIR. Um, Pelic was the staple of the defense for a long time. Aho was really coming into his own. If you remember in the preseason, Aho and Bolduc were fighting it out for that last spot. Aho blew him out of the water in preseason, and now you're looking at well, you know, you had to bring in, uh, you had to bring in some outside help for defense. Now you have, you know, a sort of wishy-washy last pair. Where do the Islanders need to get better defensively? Because I've se- I've seen them puck watching a lot. I've seen them getting caught in their own zone, and missing Pelic is a big reason for that. I think a big a big part of it is the Islanders tend to get trapped in their own zone a lot. Yeah, and that's yeah. and it's not that's not to say that they need to get better at what the Rangers are doing in in two hundred foot defense because the Islanders are kind of known for that sort of thing. But when they get in their own zone, do they have? It's it's not it's not even that they they get stuck in their own zone. It's that they're not a house defend the house type of team. They're a go out, chase the puck, put you under pressure yeah. type of team. So that leaves you vulnerable to being spread out defensively. And if you don't have, you know, outside of, I would say, after the first pair and then Pulak, you don't really have, you know, stable, really tree trunk type defensemen who are going Romanov. to hold down. And it's it's Romanov, it's his identity, but you can rely on a Noah Dobson, on a Ryan Pulak, and... and not even a Bolduc who 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 who's, who's that's supposed to be his he's that's supposed to be Samuel Bolduc's game and he's and he doesn't really fulfill that role. That's why it's concerning that this is this is the way that they play in their own zone because you're vulnerable to being spread out in front of the net. And Sorokin, who's had you know a solid year even to his own standards, isn't isn't you know lighting things up. But if rebounds come in front of the net, they're going to be victimized if they don't have oh, yeah. anyone in front. And before I, I know you're about to say something super. Get funny. a stay-at-home defenseman is what where I would say. Well, I, I'm gonna talk in full agreement with James here, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna start it by quoting an infamous uh, five-on-three moment from a few weeks ago, where I said, "Statue Bolduc, he stands there like a statue. He's not, he's not a defenseman. Pylon Bolduc. Pylon Bolduc. <laughs> if I was on That's that line, I'd make a difference." Uh, <laughs> oh, was that was that what you were? Well, gonna well say? no, Igor, uh, not Igor. <laughs> we talked about Rangers earlier. Sorry, Ilya. I have a great relationship with the Russians. That he's big, a hard, beautiful work- glove. He's that a hardworking Russian. He's being left out to dry. Um, no, he. I. I called, it's so sad. I called. So sad. I called Sam Bolduke, uh Statue Bolduke a few weeks ago, and he called it a Trumpian nickname. No, I think you know that is. It would, it's very true. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, James mentioned they get trapped in their own zone a lot. I completely agree. I think even more specifically, there are fewer teams that I have less faith in when an opposing team has the puck in the slot than the New York Islanders. I've seen mul- on multiple occasions, in fact, the very play that birthed 
the uh, the Statue Bull Duke comment against Boston, the, you know, Charlie Coyle's goal where Sta- Statue Bull Duke is just standing there and doesn't really mm-hmm. apply much pressure. Now, that is sometimes a byproduct of, like you guys said, playing a very spread out, aggressive, chase the puck defense where those kind of looks open up. But I've been very, very defensive of the New York Islanders goalie tandem this year. So and it's because I don't think it's fair to look at just the raw goals allowed and look at the raw, you know, record of, you know, the record of the team and not address the amount of high pressure looks and open looks that other teams get when they are in New York zone and more specifically up in front of the net near the slot. I've seen way I've seen multiple other teams and not even like I I root for I'm not root for. I cover the Rangers. Yeah. Who are one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference right now? But I've also covered, you know, even when I look at opposing teams, I covered, you know, Buffalo in Jersey. I got mm-hmm. to see Minnesota in in New York, mm-hmm. and even other teams that aren't cream of the crop teams in the NHL are doing a better job of standing up for their goalies in high pressure chances than the Islanders are. And I I will give them a little bit of credit where it's due. Last night, Carolina got forty three shots on net, and that does not include. You ready for this? The 30 blocked shots from the New York Islanders. That's phenomenal. 30 blocked shots. They love throwing the body around, man. Are you kidding me? Just think think about even half of those shots go through what? That's probably an extra two, three goals Carolina tacks on, and you lose the game instantly. So, you know, I I thought that was a good job of the Islanders knowing that they're not going to, you know, Carolina might outskate them. Carolina might beat them there, but if you just have the grit and you want to put your body on the line, especially guys like Alex Romanov, I Dobson even got in front of the puck once or twice, which you don't see him do. So I thought that was an excellent part of the defense, making up and knowing what they're lacking. I'm going to talk about goaltending for a moment here again, because I'll just say this. You guys don't know how lucky you are to have good goaltending where where you're at. Semyon Varlamov is fourth in the league in goal save above expected for 60 minutes. He's pretty good. He's been the fourth most efficient goaltender per game in the National Hockey League. It's decent. And that's not including their other goaltender, who, as you'll know, is probably the second best in the world, if not the first. Mm -hmm. To have that luxury, again, similarly to the Rangers, where, I mean, Varlamov coming in to this year, you kind of expect him to be a reliable backup. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily expect him to have top five, top ten numbers, which he has had in his eight games, I think. Mm-hmm. Just eight starts, maybe. Um, he's The only goal uh, backup goaltender who's got better numbers than him this year is Jonathan Quick, and the only starting goaltender who's got better numbers than him this year is Aiden Hill. So, Where does Talbot fit into that? I Tal- know he's having great Talbot is there. a 10th in goals really? saved above expected per okay. 60. But I'm, wa- I'm waiting the minutes up for Varlamov because ah. he doesn't have as much. So right. it's important for the context here. And, and the reason I bring this up is, again, while I'm going to go back to something I said about the Rangers. We talked about are they the best team in the Eastern Conference, best team in the National Hockey League? Do they have to live up to the power rack? And the answer is no. Because if you have that foundation, that systemic play, yes, it hurts for the Islanders to have injuries on the blue line and they're going to get victimized until they bring in perhaps another stay-at-home strength defenseman mm-hmm. a i mean I'm, i was gonna say a scott stevens type but like let's just face it there's no one else like that in the world nope. so um I, I will refrain from using that comparison it's a good one but to have this foundation in goal both through your starter and your backup is enough juice to carry you through the tough times of the season Should and be. while it hasn't been tough for the new york rangers it will get tough at some point and their goaltending will get them out of it in several moments 
it will happen for the Islanders too, but they're going to have to figure out a couple things defensively first. Before we wrap up the Islanders, do you want to give any takes on why Anders Lee has looked so poor to start the season? Because, uh, uh, I mean, he has he has minimal points. He's not tipping in as many goals as he was. He looks late on a lot of plays, which he didn't. Oh, um, because his nose is busted. <laughs> That's why. You're right. It's like a directional. Like, yeah, he's, yep. <laughs> it's directional. I don't know. He's like he's like he's like Rudolph. He can't yeah. like see without his. In fact, if any <laughs> if any NHL players have like a blood ick, that may help. They may he should keep the same jersey because they'll stay away from him and they'll score more. Yeah, I I, I was just looking no, at no, it. No, I I get. Yeah, he's he's over skating the puck. The problem is, I feel I wish I'd have more of an answer, but I I can't. It's hard to diag- It's harder to diagnose when he's been moved through multiple lines and is still not performing. Right. That's the part that's tough about this. Like it makes it a little more dire. The the issue a little more dire than it originally seemed. Yeah. Because at least in, you know I've there's been situations with the Rangers where they've had to move some people around and it, all it took was like on the first line change things you know worked a lot better and sometimes it wasn't even you know someone underperforming like for instance Trocheck got moved up to the second line once Heedle got hurt. Mm-hmm. Trocek was doing fine on line three. He's playing better on line two. But that was the first time he gets moved up to yeah. that line. You've now seen Honors League get shuffled around, and you really haven't seen much change. The only place that I like him is on the third line with, with, with Peugeot, Peugeot and Wallstrom. And, yeah. Because at least with Wallstrom, the, the, the whole sort of – it's not a great plan, but the plan with that line is get the puck to Wallstrom, let him do something flashy, and maybe he snipes. I'll tell you what. Pajot does a lot of what Barzell does, just a little bit worse. Yeah. And, and for yeah. that reason, that makes that makes like like uh, that's not a dig on JG Pajot. And no, I think yeah. he's, he's better behind the net. Yeah, no, he's a grittier player than Barzell for sure, and he's actually yeah. for the, his size is incredibly physical, and I I kind of kind of admire him for that uh, as as a, as a shorter guy. He he has had a poor year to start though. He sure. has been picking it up recently though. And I'll, I'll give Anders Lee some credit in the fact that you know he's kind of established himself quietly as a consistent 30 goal scorer over the last five six seasons you know you take out some injury years and COVID years where they minimize the games he's I think he's had 28 goals like three times like exactly 28 somewhere and he was a 40 goal scorer 2017 2017-18 that playoff year Mm -hmm. and and, or no the following years playoff year playoff Uh, run 2018-19 yes sorry that is my mistake but the I, I, I can't point my finger to exactly one reason why he's not finding success this year if if he can't find success on the first line it's kind of because he just doesn't exactly fit into the style of play that Barzal and Horvat have cultivated on that on that pairing that's not to say that there's no room for Anders Lee on that line because it's good to have a different flavor on every pairing and a guy that you can get front of the net and tip pucks in that he's usually that type of guy yeah usually goes good with two playmaking forwards but uh I think it's just going to be about finding a rhythm and he hasn't found that yet do you still think he's going to be like a 45 50 point player by the end of the season? I I don't know. I mean, he'd have to turn it on at one point for this stretch of the season and knowing him, knowing his mentality, the kind of leader he is for this Islanders team, I expect him to probably have a stretch of games where he really for his standard goes off and and well, I'm not saying he's going to have I'm not compliment. saying he's going to score 10 goals in 6 games. I'm saying he's going to have consistent point point production across the stretch of 2-3 weeks and that's going to be enough confidence for him to you know, have a 20-25 goal season. I, I wouldn't be too worried about him being phased out of being super high in production, but he's a 15-minute-per-game guy. He's not yeah. going to be carrying the burden of your offense. So, And that's that's a big problem. Like you mentioned, he, do, he doesn't 
he should fit on the first line. Right. With the way his play style works, he should fit with Horvat and Barzell because you want him to be the physical guy mm-hmm. who's tipping it the in. The net front guy. He's net front guy. When you have Horvat and Barzell skating all over the ice, but he, he, he can't do that anymore, and that's, that's worrying for me, and that's why I, you have to put Holmstrom with them because otherwise... And you say he's like skating over the puck a lot. He's overcompensating to try to adapt to that style of play, I would say. And look, it's not the end-all, be-all. It's not a disaster right now because I think he will figure it out just knowing the type of player that he is. But I think that's probably just the one way to to look at it and say it's going to have to mesh for him specifically in a different way than it has for the guys around him. And that's why it's less risk putting Mm -hmm. him on the third line. Absolutely. It's like like a, a lesser reincarnation of the first line. You have Wallstrom providing the skill. Mm-hmm. You have Pajot providing the passing and, and the speed and yeah. grittiness. And then you have Anders Lee rounding it all out. So I like him as less of a risk on the third line. Then who do you put on the first line? Holmstrom. Holmstrom. Okay. Holmstrom. Yeah. He's, Matt Get Bar- him involved Matt more. Barzell said this to me, and this is my favorite thing to say about Holmstrom. His play's crispy. Nice. Barzell called he him said crispy. said that. That's awesome. And I love that. I love that. He is crispy. Was that last year? I think you put that in a beat report. No, that was this year. That was this that year? That was this year. Okay. He called him crispy. And I'm thinking of something now. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know if you saw Holmstrom's shorthanded goal last night. Um, all him. All him. He skates Dog. all the way to the blue line, just yeets it from Jarvis, and just skates all the way down. That was all him. Crispy. Is that all from Elmont? Crispy we're getting back Elmont. on the train. Crispy from Elmont. Crispy. We're getting back on the train. Well, actually, this time we're getting on an airplane. We're going around the league real quick. Oh, We only have a few minutes to go. we got to get this in quick. Mm-hmm. So let's just discuss really quick some some generally unfortunate news that also had some comedy attached to it. Um, Corey Perry, earlier in the week, obviously, if you're listening, you've heard the news if you watch hockey. Tuesday, he's placed on unconditional waivers and has his contract terminated by the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, this comes literally during his first season with Chicago, his 19th overall, longtime Anaheim Duck. Also some seasons with the Stars, the Habs, the Lightning. Signed in the offseason with Chicago, one year, $4 million. A nice sort of veteran signing for a pretty young, rebuilding team. I think a good veteran presence. Um... He releases a statement because there were a lot of rumors, some of which were very inappropriate, um, regarding teammates and their families. He said, I would like to sincerely apologize to the entire Chicago Blackhawks organization, including ownership, management, coaches, trainers, employees, and my teammates. I would also like to apologize to my fans and my family. I am embarrassed and I have let you all down. As a result of my actions, there have been speculation and rumors. I am sickened by the impact that this has had on others, and I want to make it clear that in no way did this situation involve... Uh, any of my teammates and their families. Most importantly, I want to directly apologize to those who have been negatively affected, and I am sorry for the additional impact to others it has created. My behavior was inappropriate and wrong. I have started working with experts in mental in the mental health and substance abuse fields to discuss my struggles with alcohol, and I will take whatever steps necessary to ensure this never happens again. I hope to regain the trust and respect of everyone who has believed me, believed in me throughout my career. Once again, I am deeply sorry. You mi- you missed the last sentence. I'd like to apologize to Melanie because I won't be able to visit the Bedard residence anymore. Holy, wow. So, yeah, you just sort of, you kind of went all in. Yeah, so one of the, um, one of the rumors that- You looked up the first name. One of the, one of the rumors that speculated, you went first name. Oh my God, (laughs) Nikki P. Well, I mean, Corey and her are probably on a first name basis, so why wouldn't you? Keep them coming, dude. (laughs) Um, 
So, one of the rumors that exploded was that Corey Perry had an affair with Connor Bedard's mom. Which is false. Which is patently false. He Five on three can confirm, guys. We heard the rumors. Breaking news. They're false. Fake, Nick, fake Nick, news. Oh, okay, the Blackhawks GM did say this does not involve any players or their families and anything that suggests otherwise or anyone that suggests otherwise is wildly inaccurate and frankly it's disgusting. So, good news. <laughs> Kyle Davidson has called me wildly inaccurate and disgusting. So thanks, mm-hmm. Kyle. But... Yeah, because Kyle Davidson's so great. Just a sad, mm, just, just, point. just a sad situation overall. Some comedy came out of it, but at the expense of young Connor Bedard and his mother, which just Nick Nick doesn't seem to care, but some of us have a decorum. I can't lie, to you. I laugh my ass off. You all know week. what, Kyle <laughs> Davidson? You're wildly inaccurate and disgusting. Yeah. How about that, Kyle Davidson? If there's one thing I will say, a lot of people were were uh, before before the the news came out specifically about what Corey Perry had done and, and there was all that speculation. There was one group on the internet that was saying, well, if it must be so terrible if the Chicago Blackhawks of all people are not saying what he did and have removed him from the team. I would say that that's actually probably a good thing that the Blackhawks did. They found out there was an a- a- allegation of wrongdoing for one of their players and um, they or one of their employees, players, whoever it may be, they removed them immediately for an investigation and after that investigation terminated the contract. Can't imagine if they could have done that 11 years ago that a lot of people's lives would be in a much better place than they are now. So there's some growth from the Chicago Blackhawks organization at least. We can say that, sure. Um, as well, I would like to say that on a whole, I, it's time to start maybe being a little bit more clear in our uh, public messages from sports teams. Because the Chicago Blackhawks front office was very okay for several days to let that rumor go on. It was bad. Without right. revealing what it actually happened. It was poorly happened. handled. Because all the Blackhawks have to say is that Corey Perry has more shooters than we do. Right. So, <laughs> so sorry, <laughs> that was not okay. If we want, okay. Well, here's what I'm saying. We can, Kyle Davidson can, can, can and, and the Chicago Holy Blackhawks oh my God, can man. blame Twitter and people for making jokes. Or they could have taken a little bit more responsibility themselves right. and have informed the public. That's the way to do it. And, and, and all jokes aside, Corey Perry, as much as I've despised him for his career on the Ducks, um, I, I don't enjoy him on the Stars. I think Corey Perry is a rat of a player. Yep. With that said, all the best to him. Get better because no, I know a lot of people that struggle with that. Right, and it's a you know when any when anything can you know involves substance abuse, it's obviously very serious. That's why I open with saying that this is unfortunate. One thing I just want to touch on because we we're literally just we have a minute you know a minute or so to go left in this episode. Just want to say horrible transition, like <laughs> awful transition. You said eleven years ago, Chicago Blackhawks things handled differently, <laughs> lives would be a lot differently. Patrick Kane, Patrick Kane signed <laughs> with the Detroit Red Wings, guys. Uh, not sure if I'll. Pencil him for more of like a sixty-point pace this season, but if I think if he's playing on a top line with DeBrincat and Larkin, oh, you could see some good things. That's filthy. Th- that's I'm his. Sorry. No, yeah, that's his third. That's his third original six team of his career. One year, two point seven five million. Patrick Kane, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, American-born player of all time. Nevertheless, that is going to wrap up this eventful episode of Five on Three. Uh, tune in with us next week for all things around the tri-state and beyond in the National Hockey League. Thanks for tuning in today. On behalf of Nick Palmer, James Burley, I'm Jack Warner saying so long.